The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, duck, and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 285 with guest David Yak, recorded live Monday, October 15, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now, bringing world-class expert-led training in C-Sharp, ASP.NET, VB.NET, SharePoint, BizTalk, Team System, and Workflow Foundation on-site to your development team. Details online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com and by Developer Express crafting first class tools, frameworks and controls for the .NET developer improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com support is also provided by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers online at www code-magazine.com And now, the man who says, ask you a stupid question, get a stupid antsy, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin here as I am twice a week with my friend Richard Campbell. How are you, sir? Doing very well and looking forward to a crazy bit of traveling coming up. Hey, you know, forget about traveling, man. The Red Sox did it again. I know. It's amazing. Four straight. The poor Rockies. Well, you know, it's not usually such a big deal, but I mean, I live near Boston. I'm a Red Sox fan. Normally, I don't talk about sports on the show, but come on. Hey. 2004 was the first time in, what, 80 years they won a World Series? Something like that. Something like that. And uh, and now, uh, just a couple years later, boom, four in a row and they're done. I didn't real. I really didn't think they were gonna do it on the fourth one. I thought it was the Rockies' turn to catch up. It would have been more dramatic if it had been at Fenway in the seventh game. But I'll take the win. <laughs> yep. All right, Richard. Let's get started with Better Know Framework. All righty. What do you got for me? Well, Richard, this week. Um, I just want to. We had a couple of comments on things that we talked about before that I, I just want to talk about that. Uh, one was the show on GUIDs or GUIDs, Global Unique Identifiers. 
Right. And uh, I asked the question, you know, why isn't it a good idea to use a random number generator? First of all, I misspoke. Anybody who knows that uh, – who has been following other things that I talk about knows that I have talked about the system security cryptography random number generator class, which is what you should definitely use instead of the system random class to generate random numbers for cryptography. And I consider GUIDs uh, cryptographic. You know, it's, it requires that kind of strength. So my question was, you know, why isn't it a good idea? Um, the answer is that when you generate a GUID using the new GUID or new GUID method, it's actually, if you look at the IL, it, it uses, it gets a timestamp down to the millisecond level for the first portion of it, which is just a small number of bits, and the rest of the bits are generated randomly. So the difference between generating all the bits randomly in that millisecond is that there's less, a much less of a chance that you could generate the same random numbers within a millisecond. And that's what it would take in order to generate the same GUID. So you'd have to have two different computers uh, at the same millisecond in time generate the same sequence of random numbers in order to get a match. So the likelihood of that is less than uh, two computers generating random numbers throughout all eternity. Well, the nice now, thing is, you know, once that millisecond's gone by, the chances are pretty much gone. Pretty much gone, yeah. So uh, while it's pretty much impossible, and I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's the odds are really slim that, you know, throughout time, two computers will generate the same GUID just with completely random numbers. The possibility exists, and it's just less possible if you use new GUID. So there you go. Okay, and the second uh, email is from Rob Windsor, our friend in Toronto. Oh, yes. And uh, he says, uh, Carl, guys, actually, you asked about the uses of system I.O. packaging. One of the most common is to work with Office 2007 documents. These files are actually just zip files that contain a bunch of XML documents and other resources. System I.O. packaging allows you to spelunk around an existing document or package up a new one. This is particularly useful when you want to generate a document without having to use Office. Looking forward to seeing you guys in Vancouver, Rob Windsor. Thanks, Rob. That's uh, great, uh, great information. And as always, if you have a question or a comment about something you hear on .NET Rocks or Better Know Framework, just send it to us at uh, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. And Richard, it's almost time to announce the winner of those two LCD monitors. Compliments of Microsoft Europe coming up right after this awesome email. <laughs> Take it away, Richard. I got a good email. Uh, it starts out, Hi, Carl and Richard. I just wanted to make a quick point. Blend is not just for designers. And obviously, he's referring to the show we did with Rocky Laka about uh, Blend and uh, WPF. I agree that many developers produce applications with bad user interfaces, but that's not every single developer. In the same way that many web developers are able to create good websites without using designers, I feel there are many developers that can make credible WPF applications using Blend. Yes, a designer might make a better job of it, but there are many developers who will be able to give them a run for their money. In fact, I'd suspect that for the first few years that more developers will use Blend than designers. I was pleased when Microsoft changed their mind about including Blend with the MSDN license, its recognition that there are developers who have a talent for good-looking UIs. Thanks for creating the brilliant podcast each week. Keep up the good work. 
Rye Miles. All right, Rye, I disagree with you. I do think that most developers have a tough time building a good UI uh, and that WPF is going to amplify that problem. But I agree with you that Blend should be an MSDN for no other reason than as Rocky and Anthony had talked about, they had to use each other's tools to get the job done. Rocky was primarily in studio but had to go to Blend, and Anthony was primarily in Blend but had to go to studio. And I don't think that's ever going to go once away. In a while. Yeah, I, you know, Richard, I got a feeling that Rye is one of these uh, guys who walks both sides of the brain. He's just Scott Stanfield. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I, I sort of put myself in this category too. And, and Rye, you know, we're the minority. They're... This is why we love Dax so much is because he delivers both, you know, code and graphics at the same time. And there's just not a lot of us out there that do that. And I don't even compare myself to Dax when it comes to UI or design. I'm just saying, you know, people who do both the the artistic stuff and the code are, are rare. And I think you're one of those rare guys, right? I guess that makes it time. It's time. Yes, it's time to announce the winners of the two LCD monitors. We did uh, a contest for seven weeks where we gave away seven brain bags to lucky listeners who got the answers to some stupid questions right. And, hey, you know, it's just an excuse to give away some brain bags and get some people in the queue. All the prizes were furnished by Microsoft Europe. Thank you very much, Microsoft. And I get to go to Barcelona this year. I know you're not, but I'm only going for the IT week. Yep, that's right. And uh, so uh, out of those seven winners of those brain bags, those weekly winners, we chose two people at random, and they are Robert Stewart from Illinois and Nigel Spencer from Australia. Woohoo! Congratulations, boys. Nicely done. Nicely done. And Nicely you'll be done. hearing from us shortly to say you've won your monitors and we'll get them shipped out to you. Absolutely. And thanks again to TechEd Europe for making this possible. Yes, it would not have been possible had it not been for Microsoft Europe, who wanted to uh, drum up some excitement around TechEd. And, and anyone who's going, I hope you have a great time. Take some pictures, blog about it, and uh, say hi for us. TechEd Europe is awesome. Barcelona is a fantastic city. It's going to be a ton of fun. And I'm hoping that next year, both of us are back there again. Yes, 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 yes. And with that, Richard, let's introduce our guest today. David Yak is the CTO of Colorado Technology Consultants, a Microsoft Gold certified partner based in Colorado, of all places. As a senior hands-on technology and business consultant with over 18 years of industry experience, David enjoys developing applications for the Microsoft platforms, specializing in large system architecture, design, and integration. David embraced .NET during the final beta days of version 1.0 and has been helping clients migrate and build new applications on the technology, as well as helping to mentor and train their staffs. David's a Microsoft Regional Director and also an MVP for ASP.NET, a frequent speaker at user groups and industry events, co-author of two .NET 2.0 related books, and he uh, founded and is on the leadership team for the South Colorado.net user group and lives in Colorado Springs with his wife and two kids. Welcome, David. Good morning. How are you, sir? I am doing good. Well, that's good. You know, it's it's a Monday morning here. It's earlier for Richard than it is for me, 
We don't usually record early on Monday mornings. We did a show about Monday mornings, and it wasn't all that uh, rosy a picture, if I recall correctly. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I realized uh, yesterday that, you know, Richard had actually talked me into doing a recording on Monday morning. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can be persuasive that way, sometimes to my own detriment. Yeah, you can hear the sleep in Richard's voice right now. You can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, today's topic is... Microsoft Dynamics. All right. Well, you guys have a nice talk, and I will uh, nice. catch up with you in about an hour. <laughs> Great, Carl. You know, so I get on the show, and you just walk away? <laughs> uh, what I'm hinting at here is that I know absolutely nothing about Dynamics except for sort of the big picture stuff. Well, and I really think Microsoft's done the whole thing a disservice, because as I understand it, there's a lot of products involved here. So maybe we got to go all the way to the beginning. Uh, if you don't mind, David, give us a little background on how we got where we are. Well, uh, yeah, I'll certainly will, and I'm I'm going to you know couch us a little bit more on the CRM topics, and you know because Dynamics itself really crosses a brand of products that include a lot of the ERP products, really focused at business solutions. So you have the ERP side, and then you have the CRM side. Okay. So what I thought we'd do today is, because we could spend probably a whole day on both these topics, let's focus some on the CRM side of the world. And David, let's start by um, uh, expanding those acronyms for the totally uninitiated. Yeah, the whole CRM thing. So CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management. So if you really look at it, it talks about how companies manage their customer relationships. Because if you look at a lot of the companies, they kind of, they're good when the companies Customer comes, knocks on the door and says, hey, I want to do something with you. But they're not good at managing those relationships and making sure they stay in touch and they, they pay attention to important events and they, they take, take advantage of the opportunities uh, that those customers have. And, you know, this goes across from everything from real estate to, you know, any of your, your more traditional insurance companies. All of them have to manage their customer relationship. And it's not just, you know, a replacement for ACT or something like that. I mean, they do... Uh, some serious analysis over, you know, data mining and things like that. So it encompasses all of that stuff, right? Correct. So, you know, a very simple form of CRM is what you do with your Outlook contacts, for example, or ACT, where you just have, you know, Joe's name, number, and, you know, may have a couple of notes that you have, uh, you know, about Joe. But that really doesn't remind you that you need to follow up with Joe in a few weeks. It doesn't show you the history of what you've done, the opportunities, the products that you've sold Joe it doesn't bring that whole 360 degree picture of that, that customer. And, you know, one of the things we need to talk about before you let me go is the whole, what else can you do with that platform? Because there's a whole app dev platform story that we need to talk about. No, Dave, well. that was just a joke. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> well, I was worried. I thought I only had maybe like five minutes to give the whole pitch here. No, no, no. Just totally joking. And just going after the acronym thing. So you also said ERP, which is enterprise resource planning. Correct. And that's more on the, you know, the whole transactional side, accounting. And, and, and a lot of times you'll find that these systems all talk together. Uh, but the CRM kind of, as we'll, we'll talk about it, you'll find has more things from like a .NET developer that they'll find appealing in terms of uh, building on applications on top of that and connecting to other things. So kind of using it as a portal to access all these other applications and bring together that, that one picture of whatever their, their day-to-day life is. What I really like about the ERP acronym is even when you know what it is, you still don't know anything. Right. It's basically the software that businesses run everything with. Yeah. But then I immediately think SAP and PeopleSoft. Correct. And a lot of times you think of it as the kitchen sink. But, you know, I I think that's where 
a lot of times it sits in the background to where it, you know it's not something that you know your salespeople or your 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 day to day people interact with. It's more the accounting and and some of the the manufacturing side of the world. Right. Oh yeah, and it costs millions of dollars to run. Oh yeah, there is that. And every installation is a custom installation that takes years. Right. Yeah, there is that until Google gets a hold of it. <laughs> so. Is Microsoft got ERP products or CRM products, or are they calling a CRM product that's actually an ERP? Like, how, where are they sitting in all of this? I don't think of Microsoft having this kind of software. So you have Dynamics that's their brand, and so they they acquired a couple pieces uh, that fill out the ERP side of the world, and then they've been building the CRM, and they they finally brought these all together under the the Dynamics brand. So those those used to be traditionally thought of as Microsoft Business Solutions, and they they weren't quite as integrated in the rest of Microsoft. And what you're seeing happening is these products, especially around the CRM side, coming in and being integrated with. Uh, office and, and picking up the office look and feel and really becoming part of the first class uh, breed of products that Microsoft's offering. Uh, in fact, you, you've probably heard that Microsoft is coming out on the, the CRM side with uh, CRM Live, which will be their uh, software as a service offering that will pretty much go head to head with Salesforce in terms of uh, offering an online solution we can just use as a service, but with a lot of the integration back into Outlook and things like that that, that people are used to in the Microsoft platform. Now, here is a naive question. Um, what, what platforms do the major players in this business work on? I mean, do any of them work on Windows? SAP, Boy, PeopleSoft? You know, I, you know, that's a good question. I'm probably not the best one to, to give a, a depth and breadth on all the competitors. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we do is we focus a lot on, you know, I, I came into this because I was real into the, the pieces, you know, the ASP.NET, the, the workflow, and all the, the different Microsoft technologies, and we were really good at that. We were looking for an, a, some type of piece that was sitting above those. And, you know, still ran on Windows, used SQL Server, used reporting services. Uh, you know, you could extend with ASP.NET skills. That, that's what we were looking for, and uh, that's how we got involved with the CRM side of the world. Apparently, according to Google, SAP does run on Windows, and I'll uh, look at PeopleSoft also. But it also uh, also runs on Unix, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was more their their bread and butter side is is running on the Unix, from what I recall. Yeah, that seems seems right to me. And last time I heard Microsoft themselves ran on SAP. They, they certainly do for pieces, but they, they've also been uh, really pushing heavily to get their, their CRM product inside there for doing a lot of their customer management. I know especially a lot of the teams use that for tracking uh, their, their sales leads, and uh, certainly on the CRM side of the world, that's what they're using as their, their lead management. So, yeah, I mean, Microsoft's the greatest dog fooder in the world. If anybody's going to run it, it's going to be them. Yeah, I, I think that's when you you know the product's starting to really take off. Is it, you know there's always those couple of uh, you know little uh, quirks that they say you know the the service pack one and and also the uh, you know when Microsoft is heavily using it internally, those are the two indicators, right? Yeah, then you know. All right. Yeah, uh, you know I'm I'm still stuck back on like Great Plains. I remember Great Plains had VBA integration, so I was going to be able to take this accounting package and do development in it, and then Microsoft bought it, and it vanished. Well, you know, yeah, Great Plains is still there. They've actually got a web service interface to it, and you're going to see more dev story come along on the AX side as well as the nav side. Those those are uh, keeping to be developed. 
And, uh, you know, you'll keep seeing integration to where those will be connectors where people will interact with those to extend out and provide, you know, integration with either custom-built applications or using things like CRM where they'll plug those in to provide data back to a salesperson or somebody using a, a line of business type application. They'll plug those in to get the data out of the ERP solutions. Would you consider Great Plains CRM or ERP? No, Great Plains is definitely ERP. Okay. Uh, more on the, you know, accounting side. It's, uh, you know, doesn't focus on the customer. And really it does, it, you know, one of the things that I, I really liked, and I kind of mentioned, uh, you know, on the CRM side is that it basically provides some good building blocks. So, you know, I talked about you can build CRM type applications. So managing your customer and all those things, tracking your sales forecasts and, you know, where you are in a life cycle of a sale, right? But what you can also do is if you look at it, uh, you can also use it as just a line of business application development platform. So a lot of times we build applications. We go out and we pick up the ASP.NET the SQL Server, and we rush right in and we start building a database and start building offline support, security models, and all this stuff. And one of the things that I like about the CRM platform, and especially as we start talking about Titan, is those all t- come together where they've already done those for you, and you can start building on top of that platform, which already has ASP.NET extensibility and workflow and all kinds of stuff out of the box so you don't have to build the plumbing yourself. Right. Hmm. And Titan is the next incarnation of this. Hey, this is Carl. I just want to take a minute out of the show to tell you about Telerix Q2 2000 Tools Update, which can be summed up this way. Blazing fast performance for ASP.NET, WPF-like visual effects for Windows Forms, and codeless reporting. The Ajax-based content editor is now 76% faster and much more intuitive. The grid also received a performance boost, plus PDF export, frozen columns, and they've even added a new awesome scheduling component. What I find even more intriguing is Telerik's Windows Form Suite. It's unbelievable that it offers WPF-like visual effects like scaling, rotation, object motion, transparencies, and so on without WPF. As a result, you could have grids, tree views, ribbons, and more with a previously impossible level of interactivity and appeal. Telerik has recently added cab support, which makes the component set a perfect fit for large enterprise applications. Lastly, with Telerik reporting... You can create advanced business reports in Windows, Web, or PDF format using pretty much design time only. Wizards, expression builders, and converters help you with the design, styling, and integration. You'll also be amazed to see some unique features like CSS-like styling and conditional formatting. See what all the fuss is about. Download a trial at Telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for sponsoring .NET Rocks. Richard, how how long does it take when you you have to go build role based security and you know integrate with workflow so your users can define workflow? How how long does that all that take for you to build? <laughs> well, I'm never supposed to build that stuff anymore. I'm supposed to grab one of Microsoft's flavors. And there's yeah, a bunch but of them. if you look at it, let, let's just talk about Windows Workflow. I mean, it's great that there is a component, and I love the, the fact that you can just plug it in and you can fire it up in a few lines of code, right? But that really doesn't give you the full integration with an application you're building, right? You got to build some a little more plumbing around that to really use it. That, but this, the, now you're not talking so much about building workflows; you are building interfaces into the app. 
Exactly. And, you know, so now you have a user that wants to use it offline. Now you got to build synchronization or, you know, of course you could pick up the synchronization toolkit and things like that and, and plug, plug those into your, your application. But then you're still doing a lot of plumbing type work rather than pure business logic or, you know, building your data models and, and, and interacting with the application itself. Now, David, um, I don't know if you said this already, but, uh, Great Plains, uh, com based? Well, I mean, the, the, the newer way that you're interacting with Great Plains is typically through web services. Through web I mean, services. That's where you're seeing a lot of these products go is to where they want to expose an interface or sort of, sort of an interface that you're basically talking to these, and that, and that gives them a couple of things. It gives that's them the a ability idea, to yeah. uh, customize that because the whistle is very easy to expose, so as you add custom objects and things like that, they're able to expose it. But they're also able to then still do some business logic behind the scenes once they get control of your request, whatever you're trying to do with the platform. Yeah, that makes total sense, especially in a service-oriented world. Sure. And, and I think we'll continue to see more going that way in terms of, you know, th- they still need to give you the plugins because if you go back in history, a lot of these tied you in because you started getting so deep in customizations that you didn't know where their their version ended and your version started of what you did. Right. And by going more service-oriented, by giving you distinct places to where you can plug into these platforms and extend where you need to, they, they have these fire breaks. So as you go to new versions, as long as you're following along the guidelines in terms of what's supported, you're able to really you know move along the versions without as much headache. And um, what are the kinds of web services that they offer? Like, what are the plug points? What's the most popular uh, plug-in point for for any ERP, really? So, so what, can, can I bring you back on the CRM topic? Because that's one, the one I'm probably more familiar with. Right, I mean, sure. a lot of the, you'll see the ERPs following along. I think in some ways, CRM is leading the way there, essentially. Okay. Uh, and you'll see the other ERP packages as, as they realize that that same level of customization is needed. They'll either integrate more or they'll, they'll offer the similar type things. But if you if you look at a core from the the CRM perspective, there, there's several ways that you can extend that. And you know the first is around the data model. So in other words, one of the things you can do is you know the obvious things like accountant and contact and things like that are all there built in as you know kind of built in entities, if you will. Almost think of them like as you would a database. Those are your tables. So extending so, the fields in a customer record, for example. Yeah. So so that entity then has attributes which are equivalent to your columns that you would have in a database table, right? Yeah. And so what's happened, especially the, so this came around in CRM 3 uh, when Microsoft released it, they, they allowed you to create custom entities. So maybe you had a real estate property that you wanted to track information about. You could create a custom entity called real estate property or insurance policy, whatever suited the needs of what you were type of solution you were building. And you can define your own attributes to that. And you can build relationships that basically tie those entities together with the other entities in your solution, just like you would build relationships in a database. All right, that's cool. And it, and it, to me, every time you think about the services around CRM, I think the master address list. You know, there the customer ex- record that exists only once. Sure. Because every time I've worked in business, everybody's got their own customer list. Well, you know, there's two parts of that. Some of that's just how people like to be protective and don't like to share, right? And then the other part of that is technology because there's not been a good way to centrally uh, have that, share it out, and have kind of an organizational security model around that. And that's where a lot of this has been coming together, where you have a centralized solution like uh, Dynamic CRM. You're able to have that central customer view. You're able to grant access to it based on either organizational uh, boundaries or by sharing it with teams. Uh, through basically record sharing level uh, access. 
and then they can view what they're able to, to see about that customer. So you could have certain data that only certain groups and certain business units are able to see, or you could have where everybody could see everything about that customer. I'm just trying to get the address right. <laughs> you know, the, num- the number of times I've been brought in because the customers updated the address, but they still send mail to the old one and you know all that sort of stuff. Make it crazy. Well, Richard, what's cool is as you add things like the customer entities, like you add, you know, like a real estate property, for example, right. you know, custom entity. Well, the web service interface dynamically exposes that then so that that becomes a typed interface that you can go through the web service and then interact with from a .NET developer perspective. So I can build those extensions. I guess the trick here is to get the, make it easier to use that resource than it is to build my own. Well, exactly. So by, by, by using that as a platform, you sit on top of SQL, you sit on top of all the, the, the platform pieces. So you get out of the box integration with reporting services. You get out of the box integration with Windows workflow. So all those entities like that, that real estate property, if we wanted to say, Hey, every time a real estate property was created, here's a workflow we want to run or several workflows we want to run that have steps that happen, that go out and send emails, that wait for other actions in the system to, to happen. Those are all built into the, the core platform in Titan. Yeah, I get that. So now it's really about laying your business processes on top of this software so that you can create rules like, hey, if you're creating a customer, he's got to have a real estate property where you don't, you can't get here without providing that additional information. And that fires off all these other things too. Exactly. Or, you know, maybe, you know, take that example. You have somebody that added a, you know, a lead. But you want to follow up and find out what properties they own. And, and, you know, once you get a property attached to somebody, you want to go out and maybe go out to a third-party system. So you want to go out to a tax assessor-type database or something to access it and pull in some more data to populate. That could all happen behind the scenes. Hmm. And and the workflow is is the the normal Windows workflow foundation, you know, in Titan that we we all know and love. So basically from a end user, there's similar to how SharePoint exposes a, you know, something a business analyst might use, right? But then from a .NET developer side of the world, the developer is able to use Visual Studio, create custom activities, and then they're able to register those with the platform, and then they show up in the user interface. So then that business analyst or, you know, administrator can basically see not only, uh, you know, the built-in uh, set of activities that come with CRM, but they're able to see custom ones that developers build. Again, it just keep on sharing this stuff outward. Well, exactly. So you can build, you know, sets of these libraries that are based on some domain knowledge. I'm I'm kind of impressed that that you're talking about .NET 3.0 and 3.5 stuff with this, and it works already. I my my sense was that Dynamics was at least a generation of software behind uh, what's being produced on the developer side. Well, it, you know, it, it will always have just a, a sl- slight lag, but I think they're really closing the gap there. So with with the 3.0 version of the product, they were on the 1.1 framework, and right. with Titan, they're on the 3.0 framework, and they're right on the heels of catching up with the 3.5. And I think if 3.5 had come out a little earlier, you may have seen it, you know, ship with that because of the minor differences between the different ones and the ability to move on that. That's cool. Is all, but all of this is very web based. Well, so, I mean, at the heart of it, the users have really three, you know, three ways that they can interact with it from a user perspective. Web-based is certainly the, 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 I can go anywhere, pull it up, get to it. Right. Um, you have an Outlook plugin, which basically plugs CRM, 
uh, platform into Outlook, and that includes, like, if you had to define custom things like a real estate property or insurance policy, those all come into Outlook. And that Outlook can also have offline support. So it deals with storing the data locally so you can be on an airplane, still have all your offline uh, capabilities, and then when you connect back up, it'll synchronize those back up with the CRM and replay the transactions that you've done while you're offline. And the third third one is is the mobile side. Does that mean that Exchange is involved in this too? That was going to be my next question. Is this an Exchange app? Well, it's not an Exchange app. It, it actually is a plug-in into Outlook. So it uses the Outlook as, you know, kind of builds on the, the concept that Outlook is where people spend a lot of their time. Which is true. But but it's not actually connecting through Exchange at all. This is a connection from Outlook direct to the CRM product. Well, not not from Exchange. So it's actually you, you, when you're using the Outlook plugin, it actually uh, it installs into your Outlook. So you actually don't have to use Exchange with it, although they they tend to like you to use Exchange. Yeah. Um, but the the plugin itself just plugs in there and, and gives you more capabilities and ties in with your email. So it allows you to track emails with with your CRM data. Uh, and and bring those all together so you kind of have a cohesive environment. What is what's the interaction with Exchange? I mean, it seems like there's a little bit of overlap there. You know, you've got customer contacts in in Exchange on the Exchange server, and you've got customer records in your CRM. When the two meet, uh, do some <laughs> things cancel themselves out? Yeah, the global address book in Exchange sounds like might be a feature or a problem. Well, you know, without spending, uh, you know, half hour discussing synchronization, but uh, I mean, basically there, there's the, the product has ties. So basically when you install the Outlook add-in, it recognizes that you may have a, a contact list per se that you're using. And so what happens is you have the ability to connect up your contacts with the ones that are in CRM. And so as you get data in or as you, uh, update ones in CRM, those can come down and be part of your, your normal, uh, contacts. So example, I have a lot of mine that are, are shared between the two environments and track changes between them. And the other thing that happens there is um, you're able to, as email comes in or you send email, uh, those emails, the tasks and things like that can be tracked with that contact. So when you look at that in the, from a CRM perspective, those get promoted into the CRM uh, platform and they become part of that history or that 360-degree view of, of your customer, essentially. Okay. I really wish, t- you know, teachers and all kinds of, you know, people we interact with would, you know, get more on the, the game with some of the, you know, knowing what they've talked with you about. Yeah, I, I could, I could see that being scary. Like it, it sounds like it's, you're, you're essentially doing bidirectional synchronization. Exchange is scary enough. I mean, you start adding that stuff and, ah. Yeah, they, they define some kind of, you know, think of it as rules of engagement in terms of how to deal with, you know, if you remove certain things and when, you know, you very explicitly say, I want to, uh, share this or, you know, track this in CRM, including uh, email activities, whether you turn that on in general or whether it's a, a one-up where you're just doing it on ones that you want to track in there. So, I mean, you get a lot of control around how that happens. Can Can I ask you this question? I don't know how you're going to react to this, but try to just be as honest as possible. Is Salesforce to Microsoft CRM like, like Google is to Windows Live? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, you know, in, in terms of, I mean, I think in some ways, yes, certainly when you talk about the hosted side, but I think one of the things that has happened is the gap is closed there and the capabilities are similar. What you're talking about, it, it, this is how I view it anyway. I look at Salesforce and I see a proprietary platform that runs off in the cloud and that's my only option. 
Right. So as I talk about some of the developer story things, so, you know, leveraging.net and, you know, mm-hmm. leveraging workflow that we know. Right. Those stories don't exist the same way you're using some proprietary tools on the Salesforce. And that's side. always been yeah. Microsoft's big strength is, uh, exactly. And those developer the other place points. that's a big differentiator is when you start talking about deployment models. So we're on the, if you're building solutions or building things that work with the CRM platform, for example, compared to the Salesforce, I have, I have three options in how I deploy this thing. I can deploy it on premise. So back in the firewall corporate environment where, you know, or, or even down to a small business because this thing can run on a single small business server. So you, so you can go scale all the way down. You, ha- you can go to a partner hosted model. So, you know, Richard tomorrow can go start up Richard's hosting to where he offers some vertical solution or hosting services to companies. And then the third final one that's coming out will be the CRM Live to where that will be hosted in the cloud by Microsoft and really be a, a head-to-head with the Salesforce side of the world. But I think you really get a lot more deployment options, a lot more scenarios you can fulfill. And when you're building on that, you're using the tools that you know. And that's one of the things that would keep me from doing the Salesforce side is I got to go learn a whole different development thought process. Now, if I'm going to go into the live route, doesn't that sort of limit my programming options? So on the live side, you know, there's still, um, you know, I'm not able to go into a lot of that, but you'll, you'll have a lot of the same things you're able to do. You'll, you will have some restrictions around um, just the, you know, the depth of, of uh, code that you'll be able to run in there initially. But I think over time you'll see that get to where you'll get a lot of the same capabilities. They'll just be in a, a little bit different world as you, 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 you walk through the security uh, issues and things like that as you, you deal with custom code and stuff like that running in the cloud. And Salesforce has that same issue. I mean, all the, the software as a service vendors, as they look at ways to provide extensibility points, you have to balance that with making sure that you have uh, good ways to control what you're you're offering in terms of sensibility. All right, here's one for you. You've got you're an exchange shop. You've got exchange running, and you're you know you're working along with it. All of a sudden, you want CRM, so you get a CRM system, and you you know you go through some of the horror points that we talked about earlier. <laughs> now now it comes the time where you want to kiss Exchange goodbye, but there's still some features missing in CRM that Exchange do. Um auditing, uh, group calendars, does that stuff exist in um, in CRM or are there third-party products for that or what, what's the solution there? And do, yeah, is this something I mean, that people do? You certainly have, have calendaring you know, in there. You have, uh, you know, out of the box is the big side of the servicing, uh, you know, case management, those types of things that deal with uh, more calendaring type aspects. I mean, one thing to keep in mind is that CRM platform is not designed to be a, an email server. I mean, it's not it's, sure. know, really, it's intended to work with one, whether it's Exchange or some other email service you work with. Those kind of come together. And, and I think you, if you really look at this, I mean, I think you could think of, you've got a couple of key things that when you bring them together, they give you that, that complete solution. And that's CRM, you have SharePoint, and you have the, the email piece, whether Exchange or whatever you end up using. Those all come together to provide you your complete day-to-day uh, stuff that you want to integrate with. So, so you're saying that most people wouldn't go for like third-party things to fill in the holes. They would just try to m- get the the two servers to work together. From what I've seen, you, you you tend to see that more. I mean, a lot of it because it's Microsoft platform. A lot of times, you already have Exchange in there, or you have uh, to where they have you know top three accounts and things like that. Because th- there, there's a there's not a deep tie between the CRM platform and Exchange, there's, what happens is there's an email router that kind of facilitates that relationship. And it, and it can facilitate that relationship uh, with a POP account or, you know, whatever you're using as your, your mail structure. 
So it doesn't have to be exchange. Exchange is not a, a special citizen in this case. It's just another SMTP platform. It, it had been in prior versions, but it's getting to where they're realizing that, you know, that they don't want to make that a dependency of, of adoption, I think is the easiest way to say that. That's fair. Mm. You know, they, CRM doesn't want to say, well, you got to buy Exchange. I got to think the same thing around, say, SQL Server. Do you have to have SQL Server to run CRM? So, so th- that, that's where, yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's a Microsoft product. It runs on Microsoft Server. It runs, uh, ties in with SQL 2005. We'll be moving to 2008 as that comes out. Um, it heavily leverages reporting services, uh, to do that. So, I mean, that's where you get the good tie in there and, and knowing. Yeah, you can't so, get away from it then. No, you're not going to go put this on an Oracle platform or things like that. You're going to leverage the fact that it has kind of the best of breed in there. Don't say the O word. Uh, yeah, but so you're just saying limiting dependencies. It's SQL Server, but it doesn't have to be Exchange. It's correct. Okay. So what's the big deal with Titan? I mean, what are they really doing different here? Well, I mean, there's a few key places. I mean, we talked about some of the, the workflow being completely replaced uh, from a proprietary one that was in CRM3. We'll now go to Windows Workflow Foundation. Right. But a lot of time was spent on making this a a true multi-tenant product. You guys know what multi-tenant means? Tell us. I'm not talking apartments here, like, you know, <laughs> 10 people in an apartment. So, so a traditional product like this, if you take um, – and install it, it's what's referred to as single tenant, meaning that you configure it for one purpose, like one organization, one company, uh, one department, you know, set of customizations. So whatever you, however you tailor it, it kind of, that's the world you live in and figure that, let's just call that an organization. Well, in CRM3, when you would install that, you'd have to have a separate web server if you had two or three organizations. So that was particularly important in large enterprises or uh, in a hosted model, particularly in, in things like when you're going into live or uh, uh, partner-hosted where they're hosting for a number of companies. What multi-tenant talks about, and you'll hear this in a lot of uh, software-as-a-service offerings when they start talking about how they provision things, because if you start having you know separate physical servers or virtual servers for each customer out there, you still end up with a lot of infrastructure out there. So what multi-tenant does is allow you to configure with one install the software to kind of provision uh, multiple organizations reusing that same software installation. So that was a big push in the Titan timeframe was to get that multi-tenant that really enables live, that gets them out there with a... a yeah, that's what I was thinking. This is really for Microsoft's benefit so that they can run live. It, it is, but one of the neat things about Microsoft doing the live initiative that I really like is it, they're not building a separate version of this to run in live. It, yeah. All the, the stuff they're doing for live is also being pushed back into the core product so that large enterprises where they need to service large number of users or want some flexibility have access to all of these. Yeah, when it makes sense in a big company that you would have department-level accounting and so forth, so having a sort of central IT resource, and I'm putting on my run-as-radio hat here, that would be able to provision into each of those departments. That makes okay. a lot of sense. Sure, because, I mean, in large companies, you have you have different products that they're selling. You have, you know, the other ways you slice it is you have the business development people whose needs are different than the salespeople and right. they can leverage a, a platform infrastructure but they they don't want to they want to maximize how they they use the the you know the hardware and everything else the other the other multi while we're on the multi topic the other two things that were kind of real key in the titan time frame were uh, uh multi-language support so it used to be you know microsoft had you know 20 to 30 different languages they'd support on the platform but you'd install one and that was a language that you picked 
And what's happening in Titan is now it's true multi-language. So you can have, you install with a base language and then you can install language packs and different users within that same organization can, can pick different languages. And, and so all the platform metadata and things like that all reflect those language choices. So, um, but you're talking spoken languages. You're talking Spanish. Spanish, German, uh, right. Chinese, and so forth. Because companies are more global now. It's not just, yeah. they're not just playing in that one little sandbox anymore. But that, of course, we're only talking about the CRM product here, not not necessarily the same rules applying going into the ERP side of things. Correct. They, they ha- I mean, I think you'll continue to see some of that. But a lot of times on the, the ERP side or accounting, you're talking about one department, whereas uh, CRM or people touching customers typically cross a lot of boundaries. Right. Yeah, it's across everything. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Developer Express. Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. So you painted the workflow scenario as the classic sort of customization that a, that a developer would do within Dynamics. Uh, some other thoughts? Like what else would it, where else are developers going to be needed to work on this thing? Sure. No, good question. We, well, we talked about custom entities, right? Adding that, you know, that property, which is like adding a database, but it's more of a first class, you know, business entity within the platform. Right. Writing extensions to existing entities, really. Right. So you've got the, the web service that you can interact with that and make requests. So create all the CRUD type requests to, to do things with it. Um, you've got the workflow that we talked about that you can build that can fire off when things update or, you know, happen on it. The other thing that happens is um, there's an extensive eventing model that basically allows developers to, to write what's called plugins. And what okay. plugins are is ways that you can kind of um, insert yourself into the platform operation. So, for example, as a, a uh, customer is being created, you can catch that, that execution before that operation happens or after that operation happens, so after the customer has been created. And you can provide custom .NET code that runs to basically do whatever business process you need to do at that time. This is a lot like the the ASP.NET pipeline that I can jump in at certain points and insert behavior. Exactly. They they call it the execution pipeline and you know basically you if you you know drew it out you'd have little points of insertion that you can insert yourself into there and you can even you know, for example if you, you know one of the common things that happen in there is you do a pre-operation and you, you put complex validation that you just can't do through out-of-the-box type customizations, um, you know, whether it's checking other data or whether it's some calculations, uh, those can all be done and you can stop that create from happening. And the nice thing is when you insert yourself like that. You, so you'd be actually able to roll the transaction back. The guy's creating a customer. You've done some pre-validation there and can say, hey, wait, you're missing this. Correct. And you can, you can cause, and that, the nice thing about that is that that's true, that, that, that logic happens whether you call through the web service interface or somebody's using the user interface, whether it's through Outlook or through the, the, the web client. Um, right. Those all go through those same business rules. How, what does a sort of plug-in look like? Is it a declarative model or are you actually writing code and inserting some kind of hook? Yeah, you're you're actually basically they they've simplified it in the Titan uh, version. So basically, you're inter- implementing uh, what's referred to as an I plugin interface, and it really is one method execute that gets called. And right. from that, you get some context to where you can check. You know, am I being called and create? Am I, I being called uh, for an update? You can get access to what it, the the data looked like before. You can get access to what it looked like after. 
and occasional yeah. update. It's like a trigger. It's very much like yeah. a trigger in some ways, but you're doing it at a, a platform level rather than at a pure database level. Right. So that now I've seen three techniques that a developer could use. There's this plug-in approach where I'm essentially intercepting on the pipeline. There's the extensibility approach where I'm adding elements to entities. And then there's the, the workflow. Well, how does the workflow work? How do I actually integrate workflow into this? Is it off of the plug-in model? Well, in some ways, it, 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 it fits into that event model, that execution pipeline, but it, it does that for you. So you really, as a developer, just know that you're building, like if you, what you're building is a custom activity that will ultimately be used as part of a workflow that somebody put together using the user interface. And, you know, your, your activity could have 14 steps in it or it could be as simple as one that maybe goes out and pulls credit uh, score on, on a customer that you just did a purchase for. Right. So that, I mean, really, the, these are the two techniques. But I, I got to imagine the pipeline thing is so powerful to oh, be able both to pick your insertion point. It gives you point. a lot of power. Uh, you know, in, in the plugins, there's also the ability for those to run offline, so you can actually integrate those. So when the user's offline in Outlook, you can have those still invoke on the, the client side. So there's an offline story there as well to be so able to... So they like pushing yeah. these uh, events to a queue of some kind, and then it can pop them at a later time? Yeah, so so in the offline scenario, it plays those back once you connect back up, and you know basically goes through uh, any of the server side uh, activities that happen at that time also. Oh, okay, because so it's really just queued up all of the transactions that were done offline. Correct. And when it goes to execute, then then all the pipelines running normally anyway, and the rules apply. Exactly, and, and you know th- that's why you know when we started talking about this, I, I started talking about gee, you could go off, you know, pick up SQL Server, you can go pick up Workflow, you can go pick up all these little pieces. But when you start pulling all these together, there's a lot of work that has to happen if you're building that custom, uh, you know, just for your own solution. Well, and you hit a hot button with me because an actual working offline solution is painfully hard to write. So to have one that says, look, this already works. Here's how you integrate with it. That's just a ton of grief taken off your table. Correct. You know, my theory is I'd rather let Microsoft spend some resources figuring out and keep improving that than me have to spend my team's time doing that. Sure. But in yeah. you know in reality that's why they hire you because it's complex and things need to fit together and get translated down from from English uh want lists into implementations. So then I guess the skill of a developer working in the CRM space is knowing the rules of the plugins, what are the potential insert points, you know, when's the right time to do stuff and understanding the models that you're working against. You know, that's the pure developer side. And then there's one of the nice things is you can also take more of a business analyst or a customizer type person that's not even a sophisticated developer can do some of this stuff because a lot of the things can be done just through uh, the user interface with the web client. It's a, almost just straight up configuration of the CRM product. You know, adding the custom entities, uh, you know, you could do those through the web client or you could do those through a, you know, a metadata API. So all the, mm-hmm. you know, that's the other thing kind of neat is the developers have access to complete uh, discovery using a, a metadata service that basically they can interrogate, find out what's been defined to the system, what's the user's preferred label. So if they're writing, I mean, technically you could actually dump the whole CRM user interface if you wanted to write your own, uh, you know, WPF interface, for example, that did interaction with CRM behind the scenes using the web services and the metadata. You could discover all you needed to know about the platform, write your own custom client. David, how how big does a company have to be before they think about CRM? I mean, is it an expensive product? Well, the I mean, you, 
you could look at this from a couple ways. I mean, it goes all the way down to the small business server. So, I mean, for, you know, I think if you had you and me, Carl, doing stuff, if, you know, we were just doing a couple things and didn't really need to share much stuff and didn't have a lot of business rules, you know, that's where Outlook or Act or any of those are fine. You get four or five people starting, you know, kind of a small team. You want to really get some good rules. You got some custom data so you can take advantage of some of the customization. Getting it on small business server or when the Serum Live comes out, I mean, that's really a great way to get going on those. And, and you know, you're, in, you know, I think the live pricing they've got down, uh, they've announced, uh, down to like $39 during the first, uh, 12 months or 24 months, uh, per user, which is pretty reasonable. You know, if you think about it, if a salesperson can't cover a cost of $40 a month, why are they there? <laughs> oh, and I gotta hope that there's some kind of migration path from the live model to the in-house model. Yeah, they're certainly looking at some ways that you can move between the environments. I mean, that's part of it. Certainly all the customizations. So you can actually export, uh, your customizations and report them into another environment. And that's a lot of times how partners or ISVs, uh, you know, deal with their customizations. They'll have a set that they basically can import or apply to an environment to install their solution. Well, how far can I get with third party tools? And are there any third party tools for that matter for CRM? Uh, there are a number of uh, ISVs that are supporting the platform. I actually spent probably a good part of the summer traveling uh, around doing training to ISVs, getting ready for Titan. I was all over Europe and did several classes in the, the U.S. And we're, we're just actually doing a, another round uh, this uh, now on the, the current TTP3 version, uh, doing a refresher for ISVs on uh, some of the new features that came out. Ah. So we have a third-party ecosystem adding features to CRM as well. Exactly. And, you know, those can be either vertical to where they're building, you know, a specific solution for, you know, a vertical in there, or that you get more utilities where they're adding and, you know, giving capabilities that didn't necessarily come out of the box. I saw a site somewhere, it might have been Microsoft, where they have vertical templates for Microsoft CRM. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, so they, they've, they've recently in the last uh, several months came out with a couple of vertical templates and they're, they, they, they're, they're talking about coming out with more and I think you'll see more of that happen as, you know, a starting point. I mean, because anytime you have, you use a template, you get competitive parity, right? You, you're as good as the next guy that used the same template, but, but those offer a good starting point because a lot of the industries have some good commonality that they, they can share. Okay. And they're just giving those away. That's what I've seen, and I think you'll see a kind of a mixture there. I think you'll see, especially as ISVs and other uh, third parties get involved, you'll see somewhere they've taken the time to really refine it, and they're, they're going to monetize that and, and get it out there. You're going to see others that are just community uh, yeah. offerings. Well, there's a great dance with the elephant. Of, there's opportunities to make money off of Microsoft products here, as long as you're not making what they're making. Well, yeah, and this is a good lead into this question, which is, if you're a developer and, you know, stuck in a job coding and, you know, doing the same old boring stuff and you want to branch out and specialize, and is this a good niche to get into or does it have a limited life because of the whole push towards online uh, services? And, I mean, what, what's what's your thought about – put on your business hat for a minute uh, about this, about CRM as a niche. 
Well, I, I think I think it's a good, uh, you know, I, I hate to call it a niche in some ways because I I think there's there's a story that hasn't been told yet, and that's the, really the story where you know we talk about as CRMs so managing your customers, but I think you can use this to build more even more just generic line of business applications. So when you start looking at it from that side, so whether it's you know simple things like tracking projects internally that have you know you have your own way of doing things to doing. Um, you know, more complex tracking of real estate properties or insurance policies. You can build a, a number of line of business applications on it. I'm not saying that this is the, you know, the, the silver bullet that you're going to go build everything from e-commerce to everything else. But if you're building stuff inside uh, your company, you want to figure out a way to get so you're not necessarily building all the plumbings. And, and this is an opportunity to where you can get one level up, but still know, use all the tools that you're used to. Well, and look at the ingredients that you've got here. You've got some standard data stores for the stuff that everybody needs to store, like customer. You've got integration into Outlook already. And you've got a working offline solution. Like that's, that's a big plumbing pieces for just about any line of business. Right. Web service and, integration. And here's the, the, the icing on the cake. One of the things that I just can't stand doing is the reporting aspects of it. Um, I think reporting services does it a great service. But I don't enjoy going into Visual Studio building reports on it. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, no, not a lot of fun. No, it just hasn't gotten there to where that's something I look, you know, it's kind of like pulling out the tax book. But um, <laughs> one, one of the things they did is they, because, and this is where a good example of where live is kind of pushing the world a little bit of that software as a service, you're not going to necessarily uh, want to have users be able to do that. You want to give them some ability to create reports. And they've actually got a report wizard that's in all the, flavors of the, the Titan product that basically lets an end user business analyst go in and build a reporting services report, including charts and stuff like that out of the box. Well, cool. Could push it down to the guys who want it. Exactly. Right? And you still have the capability from the developer side of going and extending that, taking, you know, pulling what they started with or starting from scratch in, in a visual studio reporting services type scenario. But those become used for the more complex reports or where you're doing something really special that you couldn't do through a, a, the report wizard that's able to, do, you know, the, it's the 80-20 rule, right? Right. Yeah. And, it, and it's bound to be, you know, I, I can't complain too much about reporting because tweaking reports for ACPAC made me a lot of money in like the 80s. So, you know, there's an opportunity there for folks who know how to get around in that to, to make those things better for people. Did you say ACPAC? Yeah, that's ACPAC. Uh, it was like very old accounting software. I'm just, I'm totally dating myself there. Like, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, but there's certain things that you know, like RPG programming, that you couldn't pay me to do, um, <laughs> even though you can make a lot of money doing it. There's certain times you have to have your limits of what what you're willing to do, and reporting is one of those. I, I think if you can find the tools, use them. No, that sucks too much. I won't do it. <laughs> Huh. I, so I went to CodePlex and I searched on Microsoft CRM and I got 10 projects linked to CRM, vertical templates for CRM, a CRM documentation it. generator. There's a lot of cool stuff in here. Yeah, and I think you'll start seeing that. Um, you, you know, with, with CRM 3, it was kind of, they, they got on to the, the, the current, you, you weren't com-based anymore, you're .NET-based, you had right. customization stories. I think with Titan going to, you know, getting on the current levels of the, the .NET, you'll be on the 3.0 framework, you'll, you'll be able to use it with, um, you know, 
Studio 2005 as well as 2008. So I've been doing a lot of my development with 2008, you know, because 2008 has the multi-platform targeting. So you kind of don't have to be, you know, choose what makes sense for what you're building. So I think you'll start seeing a lot more uh, people building reusable little snippets and things like that that'll get out there. So you just were talking about CTP3. So how far away are we from actually releasing 4.0? So what they've, they've said out there is that uh, they're targeting the uh, release by end of the year. End of 2007. End of 2007. And is there any horizon on 5 yet? Uh, not that they've, uh, you know, shared outside the, the, the corporate walls at Microsoft. So, okay. I mean, they're, they're pushing hard. Uh, you know, I know that they're already looking at that as they, you know, look at feature sets. There are a number of, you know, things that, as they look at the pieces that you always want to get in, that you, you've got to get some of the core pieces in. So they're, they're looking at revving this and keeping the, the, the ball rolling downhill. But I got to think that part of their defining of a new version is looking at the resource available, like I'll, I immediately think, boy, I wonder what Silverlight would do to this. Hmm. Well, and, and you have a Silverlight story now because one of the things you can do is you can c- combine that Silverlight in because on the, the standard web forms uh, that come out of the platform, you can do iframe integration where you can actually plug in some aspects of Silverlight in there now. But yeah, you're correct. You could come back and look at a whole UI revamp on something like Silverlight or WPF to, to give a little bit of a, a sleeker interface. Yeah, there's just a lot of possibilities here. So for our developers out in the field, is this something that's going to be forced down their throats, or is this purely for the consultants jumping in? You see a lot of companies adopting this? I think, you know, you see a, a lot of uh, movement around uh, picking up pace in the CRM world as, you know, people get more competitive uh, and the capabilities are getting there. And I think we're in some ways, I think this has been the silent story. So I think in some ways, back to your, you know, could could Microsoft do a better job? I think what one of the things they could do is they could separate the CRM from the platform aspect of it. Right. And and emphasize, you know, give it a name, Fred, whatever it is, yeah. so that people can reference it. So Because I think a lot of times people hear CRM and say, I don't do CRM. Yeah. Or, or what is CRM? And I think that does a disservice because a lot of times they don't realize that there's a lot of pre-built functionality there that they could leverage, and, and they turn off because they hear the word CRM. David, is it competitively priced? I, I think it is. Uh, when you look at it in the CRM space, I think you know there's always some work to do. It you know, and some of that comes with uh, you know deeper adoption. You have opportunities to you know right size that based on adoption. And if you look at some of the adoption curves of the platform or the the license sales. I mean, that's a pretty vertical curve they're going up. And as you get more seats sold, you're able to, you know, uh, you know, obviously balance off the cost with your adoption. So what kind of numbers are we talking? Uh, you know, I don't have the, the numbers offhand, but uh, there's a couple of things out there you can look at. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of who had that. On, I think uh, Sonoma Partners had uh, it on their blog a while back uh, showing the chart. I think they had like 85,000 uh, seats in the, uh, the, the last quarter. And, um, you know, those are, those are pretty good numbers. Those are in par with what you're seeing in like the Salesforce and, and things like that. All right. Gartner has some good, uh, things in terms of also, uh, talking about the, you know, the, their magic quadrant showing, uh, Microsoft as a definite challenger there in the, uh, in the, the CRM realm. So for the small business edition pricing, you're looking at around $500 a seat. That sounds about right. That's not so bad. You know? And- 
another thing you can do is if you're buying that through like an ISV, they can also package that with whatever their solution is uh, because they're able to do it through uh, the, the Microsoft royalty program where they're able to. Yeah, the, the volume licensing thing's got to come in to play as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the your actual price will vary, but I guess that's a number to keep in your head if you're looking at this. You know, and again, to me, it always comes back to, you know, if the salesperson's not worth a certain amount, you know, why do you have them? Right. Well, David, we're just about out of time. Is there any uh, shout-outs or last-minute things, ta- places you're speaking, things you want to push before we... Yeah, uh... I'm, uh, let's see, I, I will be in San Diego, and I'll also be doing uh, some uh, serum training uh, in November. I'll be out in uh, San Francisco and Chicago. And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to point out my blog, which is, uh, well, I have two blogs, blog.davidyak.com, uh, which I talk about just general development stuff. And then I, about six months ago, I spun off a CRM-specific blog because I wanted to focus more on some of the CRM topics. And that's at crm.davidyak.com. Very good. Our guest has been David Yak, RD, and, uh, well, just overall good guy. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Talk to you guys later. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter vans by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 